All right, really excited for this episode because it is our first non-April Fools episode where the musician featured is not a rapper. We watched Dwight Yoakam in David Fincher's Panic Room. Um, rest assured, though, just because of the nature of this podcast and how many rap movies we've watched, every movie is a rap movie now. So the format is basically exactly the same. We'll tie it all back to rap. Um, not much changes. Really fun, though, because we get to stretch out a little bit. We get to talk to Sean about country. Anthony's a country encyclopedia. Uh, we also get to examine Sean's, I don't even want to call it a theory. It's his, it's his statement, stated fact about David Fincher's process, which is really cool. Um, you know, it, it's one of my favorite episodes. I'll say that right up front, just because this was a blast to do. Um, we start in media res, kind of a new thing or an old thing we're bringing back. So just get ready for that. I don't know what else to say. Panic room, like David Fincher on Bodega Box Office. So Garth Brooks is like Jesus Christ in our life. Have you ever met someone from Greenwich, Connecticut? Only uh, in a prog band. Is that kind of behavior acceptable? Yeah. yeah Outside of get, get a tenor. If something's going to fall apart in a movie, let it be the last 30 seconds. CGI camera panning. Oh, sorry, the magic of cinema isn't available to you. Again, not to get back to the Clintons, and I have a third Clinton point in a second. Dwight Yoakam is just one of the most accident-prone people. How about instead of the musician being Dwight Yoakam, it's John Hinckley? But for real, like, uh, you know, talking to Sean's knowledge of Fincher is exciting and, and you know, Dwight Yoakam is exciting. And yes, I honestly, watching this movie, didn't think about Jared Leto as a musician. Not one bit. I was also, I got to say, hammered when I watched the movie. That's fair. Like, That's fair. I DJed for the first time after Dry January, and I think I drank 11 beers. Um, Man, dry January people go hard. Everybody oh, doesn't yeah. dry. Everybody like finishes Dry January, and they're like, "I'm trying Adrenochrome for the first time." <laughs> oh, like it's never like I'm easing myself back in, you know. Yeah, it's it's the rest- well. That was the one kind of drinking I missed the most, which is the most fun kind, which is playing records and and drinking. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I yeah I overindulged. So you know, you guys might as well be talking to Nadia about this movie because. I, re- I retained literally nothing from the first watch. And then I had to go back this morning and like, and revisit. Uh, luckily it's super lean. Not it much is. happens plot wise. There's not, not a lot of detail, which is great. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I guess this is the beginning of the episode. Uh, welcome to Bodega Box Office a podcast about rap movies. What's a rap movies? Movie that is written by, produced by, directed by, or starring Jared Leto. Uh, I'm the rap game. Jay Sherman over here. I have the rap game. Sandy Kenyon. What it do. And Alan in from Parts Unknown, the rap game Richard Wody. Buenas noches from a lonely room, my friend. Um, I uh, I was going to do pull up like I did the last time, and then I was like, hold on. I remember something about Dwight Yoakam. And we're all about Dwight Yoakam this episode. So I said, yeah, I'm so curious. I want to, I, what's, what is your experience with country, Sean? Like everybody has a little, little phase of something, right? And I want to know what yours is. Talk yeah. About. So, I'm annoying, right? So, <coughs> sorry, uh, my enemy is already trying to kill me. Um, but um, the ops are out there. But no, so I, my experience of country is I was going to say not much. And then I remembered that I have been in Nashville and done the Country Music Hall of Fame tour, oh, yeah. um, which is six hours and self-directed and... Uh, Dolly Parton does the voiceover for it. Nice. And I, I, I have seen Glenn Parsons 
nutty suit and I have been in the Carter family hall and I have I have seen, you know, um Wayne Jenkins car where is it Wayne Jenkins? Where the car where every the wheel, the the, the accelerator, the gear stick, everything is all made out of guns. Like, like melted down guns one of the most incredible things I've ever seen Amazing. shit's on Elvis's gold car which I also saw that week um, but uh, so I my country my, my dad is big into country up to a point right like I like to call it like the America collection kind of vibe that went around all the middle aged men in yeah. the 90s you know where they were like wow Johnny Cash is, is good uh, up to a point but like but I don't modern country is not something I have ever you know I barely know what the Armadillo World Headquarters is and that's about when I I kind of step out of country like all this you know friends in low places and stuff my parents were never into any of that I that was, was uh, my high school graduation song by the way I was oh, going to say it if you didn't say it Anthony oh <laughs> um, it was I amazing would- everyone chose it and the teachers did not know what that song was until the like programs were printed and it was like the morning of the event and they just brought us into a room to yell at everybody about what low rent pieces of shit we all were for choosing that. And it Garrett was the last Brooks. time. Yeah. <laughs> what's wrong with Garrett? I thought everybody liked Garrett Brooks. What like is what yeah. were they Chris Gaines fans? Yeah, more Chris Gaines. Um, <laughs> like this isn't dark enough, you assholes. Well, I will say. So the thing about Garth Brooks is, so Garth Brooks is like Jesus Christ in Ireland. That's an important piece of information. <laughs> That's a crazy. Bar. You probably did not. You probably did not expect. Yes, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Sean. How? How is this possible? Well. In a, 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 there was a time when there were so what was it again? It was oh, so seven years like seven or eight years ago. Garth Brooks almost played a stadium in Ireland, and local concern like noise concerns or whatever um, stopped it. Uh, they they they, uh, they 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 couldn't do it. They couldn't get the license for it or something like that. So. There are, let me look, population of Ireland's got to be 10 plus people, population of Ireland. More than so, 10 at least. So there are, there are, this is, I'm doing this for a reason, right? So there are for 5 million people in Ireland, right? There were half a million tickets for Garth Brooks. So like a tenth of the country <laughs> had Garth Brooks tickets. Just, just, to, just to like emphasize this. And that was not enough. They were in high demand and being and being touted still. And they had to refund everybody. So so instead, Garth Brooks so Garth Brooks is finishing up his career right now, and I think. And Garth Brooks played in Dublin. I think is this right? Garth Brooks played in Dublin last last year, and it was his final stadium performance ever. And it was oh, like, I've been waiting to do this. They told me I couldn't do it. I'm here, honky-tonk people. You know, it was, and like, it was, I live quite near, like, if I was on the second, if I was on the first floor, second floor, I was on one of the many floors of my palatial mansion. <laughs> I could see the, the, the stadium, like like Crow Park, right? It's like the Hurland Stadium, whatever. Five sold out nights in Crow Park. So that was last year. The, the, the town during that was crazy. Because it was bad. people who, like, now, I'm a culty, right? I hate somebody from not from Dublin, right? So I, I shouldn't be saying this. But it was people who, it's like they'd never been in a city before. He's <laughs> drunk with pink cowboy hats on. Just, like, wandering out into the middle of the street and stuff, you know? And it was like it was like five days that was a full week 
of and, and they were like they, they closed in nearly the, the queen came and there was less security and less disruption <laughs> and, and like Garrett Brooks is like so Irish people there are like so the Irish language station like TV station right where they translated stuff but they also showed that's where every Irish person my age suddenly got into um, Oz say because they used to show a double bill of Oz curiously the on HBO Thursday. Yes. So, yeah, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and not dubbed into Irish. Like they licensed loads of really cool shows. This is in the two thousands, but it was an Irish language channel. But one of the other things they had was a country program about country, and they'd go to a different like country venue in Ireland, and like guys in Stetsons and whatever would be like, "I got a horse and I'll fuck it," you know, like or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, and, and it's 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 somebody who like me who kind of kind of comes from the show van tradition can access this somewhat, but. This is country's huge in Ireland. It's especially huge now. I have to. I don't know a lot about this. I'll be. I'll be perfectly honest. Like everything I say about Ireland, I don't know a lot about this. But country is especially huge in the north of Ireland, where there might be a population of people, say, that don't have a culture that has produced, you know, fantastic traditional music, music like the Irish culture, but maybe want to do that kind of thing. So end up lined up wearing Stetsons being like uh, uh, you know uh, uh, she thinks my tractor's sexy I like I love um, the shade here by the way the shade I, is I, I, uh, so yeah it's a big prod thing country uh, but like but I, I will always remember driving into Nashville and my dad was like we should put on the radio and he turned on the radio and she thinks my tractor's sexy was on and my dad was hoping to turn on the radio and find, you know, I don't know. Tom T. Hall or something. Like oh, something that's 50 years old. Or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, you know, uh, well, yeah. Some old timey. Like, like Poppy at a stretch would be Roy Orbison, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and instead it was like, it was like. He just looked like somebody had shit in his face. You know, it, it was. <laughs> and, that is the I, most annoying strand of country is like the, the pop country. country. Yeah. Well, yeah. obviously you're not a ardent follower of the music coverage on the New York Times where uh, legendary rap journalist John Karamonica defends bro country on what I feel like has to be a weekly basis. That's that you mean that like red cup kind of country? Yeah. I got like, a sip and I got a lady, like all that kind of shit, you know, and it's like, Chicken fried, basically. Yes, of, yeah. yeah, but like, but kind of, there's a lot more to it than, uh, like, I know that I'm speaking about it in a way where if I was speaking this way about mumble rap, it would be legitimately racist. But like, <laughs> but you know, like, that's okay of, because it's country about stuff. Country. Yeah, it's talking about yeah. fucking, yeah. Uh, like, it's, uh, I kick shit and I love my wife, you know, that kind of, like, yeah. And, and even like, there's a really, I mean, I'm interested in that, but I, I, every time I try to get into it, I can't. You know. Well, Anthony, you've done some digging on it. You're like, yes. you're the one who's listened to actual recent country, and that blows my mind because I'm over here Don Williams all day. But um, <laughs> yeah, what is what's the good pop country? There has well, to be some. A, it's a lot of the newer stuff that's good is lady country. It's essentially the inverse of like you have that like Clinton partisan version of feminism where like everyone needs to be like a girl boss and it's very removed from place. And like, there's only <laughs> one authentic way to think things. Is so, this the fastest Anthony has ever brought up the Clintons? on an episode? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is a land speed record. <laughs> 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 through the first sentence. And I think super predators, if you'll see it. Anyway. I'm, I'm glad you caught it. Cause I, I've blocked that shit out now. Like I, I don't was, even hear uh, it. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I was, I was uh, yeah. intensely impressed. Anyway, sorry. I heard 
Douglas yeah. radio edit. <laughs> yeah, so the inverse of that is like your Miranda Lamberts and uh, Casey Musgraves and people like that, where it is very, very much about being a woman, but it's being a woman and like what a fucking pain in the ass it is and what <laughs> dickheads other people are and like a willingness to burn down the house of your enemies and shit like that. So like it makes a, a kind of sense to me in like a rap way. But also there's like such polish because it's fucking Nashville or whatever. So it's like it's certainly not for everyone. Like if somebody doesn't like Merle Haggard, that's their fault. I can yeah, understand yeah. if society has driven them to a point where they cannot find joy in something like a modern lady country. But it is like interesting how much of it is like informed by like a John Prine rather than a Garth Brooks. Like it is sort of a a corrective uh, subgenre that is designed to like wash the hands of all the bad mistakes made in like the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like penitence. Like you're yeah. kind of eating, eat your vegetables country. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like it's like, yeah, like a woman gets up and sings about auntie's working or something. Yeah. Like I, I but I, I know that like women in country have been like, isn't there literally a very transparent cabal, to not have women be famous country singers like 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 the, the radio um the payola and stuff is such that like i know there's a book about it um can't remember who wrote it now it was rob hervilla's very good podcast um he spoke about um when the, the episode i don't know if you listen to the podcast it's my favorite podcast um 60 songs about the 90s or whatever um but uh he talked about shania twain it's amazing. It's like all units, but good and about something you, you heard, you've heard of. Like it's one because it's just him on his own. All units is um, goaded. You you watch uh, <laughs> Listen, but he, the Shania Twain episode, they talk about like Shania and her disappearing and what she means to women in country now at the at the, at the moment and stuff. I find that very interesting that it's like that 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 it's that because I know the the big exception is like. The, 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 the women that have kind of potentially been big country singers recently have just gone into being like, say, Taylor uh, Swift. I, I actually genuinely forgot her name. Taylor Swift are <laughs> like, like who, who could have been big country, but instead just became big singers full stop, you know. Sure. Uh, That's also, yeah. it gets into an interesting territory because you have your fucking Shania Twain, but like Shania Twain's a Canadian woman that was married to the guy that produced fucking Def Leppard. Yeah, so like yeah. she yeah so she as Mutt Lang's wife and as a non fucking southerner is like a weird Trojan horse where like again not to get back to the Clintons and I have a third Clinton point in a second <laughs> but, like, yeah, <laughs> but yeah it, it becomes this thing where it's basically saying like we either don't want women in country or we want a specific kind of woman in country yeah. and a lot of it is the realignment of media in the fucking nineties. And the realignment of politics in the 90s, like if you let women say too much open minded shit, like all of a sudden it starts to rail against the conservatism of the 90s. Like, well, if I mean, you have like Dixie Loretta chicks, Lynn, goodbye, like, Earl. Earl's yeah. gonna die, you know, like they, the like they came out and they said, like, uh, maybe don't shoot children in the back of the head. And America was like, that's literally all we have, and like, and uh, made the Dixie Chicks like basically like Sirhan Sirhan. Like, yeah, not to quote, not to quote Chappelle too much, but when he said that, like, Kanye got in so much trouble that Kyrie got in trouble, like the Dixie Chicks got in so much trouble <laughs> that Dolly Parton got in trouble. Yeah, like, yeah, that yeah. had a real cascading effect. Yeah, uh, and all they time, did like, was say this war is fake. 
<laughs> yeah. But if you look at like 70s country, like you have like Loretta Lynn writing yeah. fucking top 40 songs about like using uh, power. fucking, um, uh, uh, I'm driving a fucking, uh, the fucking, uh, the, the shit you take when you don't want to have a kid. Uh, birth oh, control. Like a, yeah. She's writing about like birth control and that like emancipating you yeah. and like, getting a job because your husband's a piece of shit and all this. And like once politics realign like you literally have hillary clinton going on tv and saying like i'm not tammy wynette i don't i'm not with bill still because i'm standing by my man and putting up with a bunch of shit like it says a lot about the failure of both the musical and the cultural and the political project of these people that she's like well no we need to piss off every woman over the age of 40 in arkansas but we're gonna win over a bunch of fucking donors from new york and that's why they can't fucking win in the electoral college but it's also like th- you had musicians that would write like more blue collar, but like union type shit that all of a sudden, like the way everything shifted, you just suddenly are only trying to cater to Republicans. So it made it really hard to figure out what to do with women and music at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's the Oki from Muskoki problem, right? Like Oki from yeah. Muskoki is like, it's a sarcastic song. And then people were like, no, we are proud we don't burn all <laughs> glory down on main street i it's am like, a parody oh, oh and then, like, so they were like i guess guess we're okies from muskogee now <laughs> like and it's it's funny because i don't want to i'm very cautious that i don't know a lot about country and we're talking about dwight yoakam specifically the man the, the man the myth the hat the hat wearer um and, uh, <laughs> man, he does wear a hat doesn't he he wears he the hell he wears the hell out of an old hat like well you see his hairline in this movie and you kind of get it i'm over here receding i'm like man i, I feel you dwight <laughs> there is an immensely touching video of dwight yoakam um speaking at somebody's funeral and is it Buck Owens' funeral? Um, and he, and he, he sings, you know. And like, that sounds like, all right. He did a full Buck Owens tribute album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Buck Owens. Uh, this is this does place Yoakum inter in a you know on the spectrum that we're discussing, where it's like Yoakum was Bakersfield, right? That was the yeah. deal. I mean, he that was, was like, literally when I first got into is country he from music. Bakersfield. Is he? No, he's not. He's from, no, he's from Columbus, Ohio. Okay, oh, yeah, right. he well, he moved to Columbus Ohio. when he was three. Yeah. Born in Kentucky, uh, moved to Ohio, but he's like, no, I'm not doing. He specifically said he's like, I'm not doing the like Nashville shit where you you came up through the church. He's like, I'm doing the Bakersfield thing where you came up in a bar. Right. Yeah. Because I know I know a man from Bakersfield who is very serious about Bakersfield, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to fuck anything up. Oh, you know Jonathan Davis from Corn? That's cool. Uh, yep. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, he told me do not make fun. Hey, you know what? By the way, uh, I listener. Um, just, just, I'm coming in here while I'm editing the podcast um, to say <laughs> that there is a video, I don't know what it's called on Twitter, but it is somebody has made a compilation of every vocal cover cover of Corn an, an amateur person has done and just the, of, of Freak on a Leash and just the, just that bit. Oh, it's and Catatonic it's, Youth. It's like, it's, it yes, it's like two and a half minutes of just people going, <laughs> and it's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. But personal friend, Jonathan Davis, otherwise, Love his solo stuff. Love the whole crown. They hate the HR Geiger microphone. Everything is brilliant. Everything's great. Um, yeah, hot sauce is kicking. But, good stuff. But yeah, but I, I <laughs> Jesus. But like dubstep, great choice. Uh, but no, because I. That's the whole thing, right? That's the thing that is not is when you're reading about American music. Suddenly you realize, oh, there's a reason a lot of stuff sounds. You know, there's a reason a lot of musicians sound a certain way, and it's because they came up through the church, and and that applies for just as much for like you know Prince not through the church, like That's you know true. you know like that kind of thing. That's very once you 
figure that out, it becomes very obvious to see, you know, who 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 has a church background and who doesn't. That seems so obvious, but I did not, of course. <clears throat> Hi, I'm Ryan. Uh, I don't think about these kind of things. So that's a great thing that you just pointed out, Sean. That that where you come up applies to almost all music, and especially if you came up in the church. Well, it's, and it's that's like also the popularity random. of Dwight Yoakam. It's because the Bakersfield sound is essentially like the fucking rattle of the, like, Ant from Atmosphere is the only guy with a louder snare drum than, like, a Bakersfield country <laughs> musician. And it fucking, then you got, like, it's all these, like, really lyrical, like, meat puppetsy bass lines and shit. Yeah, so it makes a lot cool. more sense if you have a rock background to right, listen yeah. to, like, Merle Haggard and Buck Owens. Like, aside from not having the fucking life experience at age 17 to realize that George Jones is the actual goat, like, a lot of that fucking, like, string and syrupy fucking country politan shit like it's just if you don't have a background in gospel music, it makes a lot less sense. But it's not that far to get from like a Buck Owens song to like early Beatles, which is why Act Naturally fucking exists. Yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I sent you guys that. Well, I sent you guys that article when I was doing my little little research. Right, did research. Well, our first drop twenty minutes in. This is like fucking Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> 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 uh, drive my car you've been put on notice um but like uh the okay the first song i heard from dwight yoakam doing research like the lyrics are literally i'm gonna drink myself to death uh and it's your fault is basically like what he's saying and it's like a hit massive hit but that's literally what the lyrics are saying like i'm going to walk into this bar drink myself to death i'll either die because you broke my heart or it's like or i'll die because i drank and it's either way you did it so super cool but then like Anthony, that line you're drawing is real in that this did you guys look into this cowpunk thing? Like I don't know much about I, I have so I have a book on red about the history of cowpunk that I oh. have meant to get to for some time, but I have no idea. I really don't know. All I know is I'm guilty about owning that book. Well, Dwight's um, in that book, I guarantee it, because like uh, he became part of that conversation. I think it's a I little mean, bit. I mean maybe in that book, but it may also just be like that, a, I thought it was more like puppets, dead milkmen kind of thing. Yeah, you can go just go like goober and the peas and chase that shit fucking out into yeah, the field. Mojo Nixon like, and all that kind of shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. X and Dead Kennedys and like they'd have like Dwight Yoakum would like would like be on the same stage that night. Like whether or not they were like touring together, they were just playing in the same clubs. So if you were like going to the, this, if you're like a scene person, it was very likely that you were like enjoying dead Kennedy's and X as much as you were enjoying Dwight Yoko. Like there was Holy no difference. Moly. That's, and, that's a, that's an interesting. And it may, it gives him this level of credibility that I don't think comes through in the music at all. <laughs> like I don't he think it sounds useful. punky. If Nashville was going to make the moves they did, but they still wanted to have sort of like a legacy artist that was still album based and that still like was interested in sort of cultivating the roots of country for like successive audiences, like that's somebody you can trot out at a CMT awards or give a Grammy to or whatever to show that like there's kinds of country for everybody. And it's not all just very like the modern superficial brand. So like, right. and I bet somebody like Dwight Yoakam is useful to keep around the way, like you've seen that kind of thing in all sorts of genres. Before. Yeah. And also like, you know, the, the idea of what punk and what like true country is, you know, like it's not just because Hank Williams the third 
you know, mod, <laughs> shout out Ass Jack. <laughs> so mad at his, you know, kind of uh, family thing that so mad that he has inherited the most beautiful singing voice in American history <laughs> that he chooses to like sing with the Melvins about his dick or whatever. Um, <laughs> although actually, the cover of Ramblin' Man with the Melvins is probably one of the best Melvins songs. He's got but, some bangers, dude. Yeah, yeah. No, no, he's good. No, but real but, bangers. But like, what, what? constitutes country like i think a lot like say from my point of view right from a guy who doesn't who knows fuck all right but it just has a kind of an ambient awareness country well, you have a um, microphone so that's yeah cool. this is it uh but i i am um, it, it's it's you know you would think oh you know johnny cash the american recordings that's you know that's real that's stripped back and whatever that's totally artificial though you know what i mean that's like rick rubin rick yeah. rubin's the guy who came up with the the initial name for the first beastie boys album rick rubin's not a good person or like uh or like as we saw a, in the tougher than leather episode he just yeah, likes to say the he, n-word he's a, he's a piece of shit like yes yeah, so, <laughs> like and like he he is like an like and and not really particularly like he's just he just makes money like he's a rich kid who who just whose involvement in alternative culture, he wants to be really into it, but all he seems to be able to do is just, just turn things into money, which is like the kind of Midas touch thing, as in you turn everything to shit and you can love nothing. Like, you know, um, but like he, um, <laughs> you didn't expect Rick Rubin to get the bullets like this. <laughs> Dude, everybody's <laughs> catching straight. But right now, like, it's, it's uh, like, it, you know, it, the country can sound like whatever, like if, if more people are listening to fucking, you know, what sounds like, I mean, to me, it sounds like essentially like an even more uh, kind of electrified version of what, you know, um, I don't know, what like ZZ Top were doing or so, you know, like kind of turning that boogie-woogie music or country music into it with, with the electronic, with synths and stuff. Why not? Like, who cares? Yeah. You know, like, like, like it's not, and it's not to say it's not, like, that's why I think Sturgeon Simpson who was like the guy to name drop, right? Like, you, you, yeah, you everybody know, loves Sturgeon Simpson right You now. just need to like, my friend Brandon, a former guest on this show uh, turned me on to Sergio Simpson way before it became the NPR words to say out loud, you know, like but, literally uh, what it is. It's like the yeah. one, yeah, the one artist they've heard of. Yeah, it's there. like his family were literally coal miners, so they know they're on the right track or whatever. But like, you know, he, he, I, I believe he doesn't, he's not just, just about all the authenticity stuff. He does some of the dabbles on the other stuff as well, a little bit, whatever. And, and, and I just think like, um, yeah, it's 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 just it's such a fascinating like even having been to Nashville, you know, I feel like I understand less about it now. You know, like 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 I just like I went in, I went to this specific record shop and I bought Graham Parsons, you know, um That is the like the cool guy country album to buy for sure. Yeah, well, like, it was 2005 that we didn't have Scourge Simpson yet, so I bought a, <laughs> yeah, a, 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 a Grand Parsons double album, and I said, and I bought it because I had read a I, there was a piece of there was a music book of music journalism. Can't remember the guy's name now, but I made a huge impression on me. Went to Nashville, and he said, uh, and he said, God, nobody buys this guy. And I was I wanted that response, but that book was written in the 90s or something. So there's me post. <laughs> You know, I was, what was it, 2004, 2005, buying Graham Parsons. And the guy goes, yep, we sell Graham Parsons pretty regular around here. And I was like, <laughs> oh, shit, let me go back and get something weirder. Like, but, uh, <laughs> but, like, we went into a bar. My parents have less of an idea than me on how to navigate, you know, a bar. Like, we went into a bar and we're eating something. It was a crap, you know, sports bar kind of thing. And the guy stood up to sing at lunchtime. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, you know. 
and it was like the guy was technically probably one of the most perfect musicians I've ever been in a room with because he was <laughs> a guy in Nashville at lunchtime being like just just getting you know practicing getting some stage time and it, I, I realized at that point oh this is like when you're in Ireland and somebody just starts saying you know if you're a tourist in Ireland and and even though this can't happen because people seek this out, but you go into a pub and somebody just starts singing and you're like, oh, who's this dickhead? And then it's like the best folk performance best thing you've, you've ever heard. Hear. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, like, so now, not all, but sometimes it's utter bullshit. Like, if you're in fucking Temple Bar and you just say, oh, let me tell you a story, 32 <laughs> verses long about the woman who dildoed and idled. You know, like, all that's like, just no, don't go to Temple Bar. But there's plenty of good, you know, folks. But it's like that, you know, it's, it's really it's such a complicated thing you know and there was so much horrible stuff being papered over in the country music hall of fame but so many like in the middle of that tour you get on a bus and you go to sun studios is it no oh, not wow. Sun studios that's memphis that's that's memphis you go to um you go to like a, this studio where all these country people and elvis recorded and the guy pulled you know and the bus pulled in and he was like if you see a guy like if you see elvis don't talk to him you know, which is like a really funny joke, like but that loads of people didn't get, like, you know. But um but like it was in a really amazing tour. But you see, like you see the tiny studios they were in, and like you hear stuff like, Oh, Glenn Campbell recorded the three big Glenn Campbell songs you'd name if I asked you to name them in right. the space of one morning. You know, that kind of thing. You know, so it's full of mythology like that as well. But like well, it's yeah. also one of the only places that you can you can succeed as a working musician. Like they, right. they don't, yeah, that doesn't the exist. Session, session music kind of zone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. That, that barely exists almost in any country, like <clears throat> where you have this place where there's a whole industry around it. And like, yeah, yeah. it's pretty cool. I think, um, although it's South I, by I, Southwest, 365 days a year. <laughs> God, oh, that sounds awful. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! Why is there so um, many? Yeah, that, I, why are there so many Biffy Clyro posters everywhere? They always struck me as the most South by Southwest band. But I uh, just, I, I think like there's several pop stars where you find out. Oh, like who's your one that was like all about that bass? Megan Trainer. Yeah, um, and like if you look into her. I think she was a songwriter, maybe, but she's actually like. There's some specific like what? What's the band? The NRBQ. Yeah, yes. yeah. NRBQ's. Yeah, God, Funky as Dice Game Rangers? was tweeting about that. He blew all our minds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, NR, NRBQ. Yeah, just like uh, it, it. Just fucking hell. It, so whenever it, I come across any band like that, the first person I go to is Anthony because I'm like, tell me what <laughs> everything I need to know about fucking NRBQ. It's like yeah. I. I was gifted a couple NRBQ records and I'm like, you really? okay. What? Yeah. When I got my dad's or my, my family friend gave me, no, I need record, to go over so there and dig through all the unlistenable stuff so I can find what's actually listenable to me. Oh dude, the Canon, he hooked me up with so much, so much canonical shit. Like I got like all the Rolling Stones. I got fucking all the Jackson Brown. It's amazing. Um, but then, like I, NRBQ, like it's just a band that I would skim past on my way to Neurosis while I was in like the the record store, and uh, I yeah. never knew shit about it. But they're actually pretty good. But I do need Anthony always to sort of parse country for me because um, I'm I like it, but I don't want to put in all the work sometimes. Well, it's tough because some of it is craft and some of it is like pathos, and it's a lot easier to understand craft. But something like pain or authenticity is almost easier if you're like a punk musician or something because like you just watch somebody fucking bleeding and tearing apart an instrument they don't know how to play but like 
to do that with like being a virtuoso at the fucking uh, pedal steel or whatever. Like one of the most beautiful sounds in music. <laughs> it is one of the most beautiful sounds, but it's like it's really weird because the amount of practice and polish and refinement it takes start to pull you away. So it's a real fucking tightrope act. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like, that's, you know, uh, and imagine if those songs were instead, you know, you were hammered and you were singing about like the British occupation or whatever, right. but you were still, you know, expected to keep in tune. Or That's why I thought it was quite, you know, similar in some ways. But like um, the other, okay, so I might as well. So I actually have an annoying and even more annoying country past than I may have made it. <laughs> Not only do I just freely say stuff like the North of Ireland and like was in was in the Country Music Hall of Fame. When I was 10 and 11, so I was too young, I used to buy Uncut magazine. Um, <laughs> God, I, I thought something else was going on. Oh, and I was like, up until the age of about 14 or 15, I was in Ireland. And this is when alt country was at its absolute zenith this is when so oh, like, like before is that yes, what we're talking about? before yeah. i heard like good country i'd heard like uncle, Wilco, tupelo, and all uncle that. tupelo the drive-by truckers fucking um nixon what's that guy's called what's that guy called the other album called nixon uh and, and like all of that shit like jim white so i liked that stuff so much like some of that stuff like ryan ryan adams I yes. liked that. I, I was 12. Ryan Adams was cool. I didn't know he was going to be mean to your one from, from <laughs> emotional emotion sickness. She wasn't born yet. Uh, but, but so I, you know, I, I didn't understand that, that was going to happen. Ryan Adams was good back then. He hadn't covered Black Flag yet in an embarrassing way. You know, um, he hadn't ruined the Strokes' lives yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He hadn't. In fact, if you look at it, almost every single human being he comes in contact with completely <laughs> fucked their life up in a toxic and weird way. Ryan, if you hear me, I'm not sorry. But, but like, <laughs> yeah, but like and, and I and I like you know. So I like all that shit. Like Jim White. Like so. There's this there's this documentary called Search for the Wrong Eyed Jesus, and it goes through all of these guys. It's Jim White. Jim White kind of leads the thing, but it's and it's all of these really kind of offbeat, you know, like both writers, like, you know, he talks to Harry Cruz, who my dad is a asshole who will talk to you about Harry Cruz forever as if he's the most important writer in the world. Cat Power was in there, I think, when she was prime. Cat Power. Drunk. Oh, the guard. Um, handsome Family, before they got that true detective money. And um, <laughs> 16 House Power. Johnny Dowd, actually, is the one I would look up, which who he never got famous, but he's got, the, my one of my favorite song titles of all time, which is "That's Your Wife on the Back of My Horse." Oh, that's uh, a good uh, business, right? But there. Uh, that's I'm a big, big fan of "That's Your Wife on the Back of My," especially because instead of it being a jaunty country song, it's like this weird kind of like mid-period swan sounding thing with him just intoning that's your wife on the back <laughs> oh, over and over yeah. again like yeah it's pretty good but um but i like that stuff you know and um and oh hold on i've just remembered i have an even more annoying not relevant uh, country country background before this is like the house in panic room it just goes yeah, on i know before, oh shit panic room so before, before, before we are literally 34 minutes into this podcast i've never discussed the movie i am here for it we before, are in the panic room but very briefly before this is, we're we, just we're trapped in the panic room with sean panic. and he says oh another thing about uh, country and another thing that i said 
well, I used to read the crime novels. The first crime novels I was ever into when I was like a kid, like a young, young kid, eight and nine, was by Kinky Friedman, the Jewish. Uh, yeah, yeah c- Ride of Jew Boy is, I yeah, believe. Ride of Jew Boy, indeed. He yeah, ran yeah. for governor what? of Texas that's twice. That's insane. Yeah, the Jewish. The yeah, he's the Grandpa Munster of Texas. Yeah, the Amazing. lasso from El Paso. Yeah, he's he's um he's yeah he's he's cool. So right, this guy looks great. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's oh no, he's 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 weird. I <laughs> he he said he unfortunately his art. He I was already seeing when he toured Ireland. He never showed up. So very sad. I would say uh, a whole uh, vibe is what I would say yeah. looking at his images. Oh, anyway. Um, speaking of um, uh, Kinky Friedman, what's the film this week? <laughs> <laughs> Incredible segue. Uh, for the record, I could have listened to that uh, for hours. Um, uh, and I'm not kidding. But uh, yeah, we watched Panic Room. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I'm excited to talk to Sean also about the Finch, the big uh, Finchman. Um, because you've you given my favorite insight about David Fincher, and I'll never forget it, is that he always hates his source material, which I think is the coolest. Yeah, shit. he adopts stuff he doesn't take particularly seriously. Yeah, that's like, so like, incredible. Like when, because a lot of directors, people love, they're like, oh, you know, they find this piece of this thing means so much to them. Like David Fincher, like Mank is so self evidently stupid to me. I haven't watched it. I refuse. Yeah, I'll never to watch it. it. <laughs> like it's like some script his dad made. Fucking hard pass. But like all the stuff he's good at is he is basically, you know, what's funny is Mank is this big tribute to that period of Hollywood, right? And whatever. Whereas Fincher's actual tribute to that period of Hollywood is he basically has an entire career made of that story Orson Welles almost certainly made up where he said he needed money for a theatrical production and rung up a studio and said, I'll adopt adopted thriller for you adopted thriller for you uh, and they're like oh which one and he he saw that the guy who was the hotel manager was reading a novel and picked it up and said read the name of the novel and said that's that uh, this i'll adopt it like he hadn't even read it you know uh, <laughs> and, and that that was and that's fincher fincher's like you go into an airport and yes. you go to like the table at the front of the bookshop of an airport and you just push and it says mind hunters and you're like okay i'll, I'll do it two series of mine or whatever yeah. like yeah like oh the, i think they call that the starship troopers yeah, that face. Well, no, Starship Troopers was very, very. I think Starship Troopers was very calculatedly made as a fuck you to the guy who wrote the book Starship. Troopers. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this is just like Dave. Dave Fincher doesn't care. Like oh, it's not. It's not a, he yeah, yeah. He's he's, okay. he's like I can make like you know when people say oh to make a a sculpture of an elephant you chip away everything from a from a, a, a sculpture that doesn't look like an elephant. David Fincher fills in everything that doesn't look like a David Fincher film whenever he gets a piece of source <laughs> material, you know, until, and, until like, it's a, like, he's, he's just, I mean, he, he says he like, you know, he said fight, fight club. He said he was so excited about the script. He'd do it. Even if he was doing craft services, I don't know. A lot of stuff is kind of, he, he's very conscious of his image. I think a little bit. Yeah, he's attempting but, to parse that a little bit, but in unguarded moments, like he is so funny with how mercenary he is because basically David Fincher, was a music video director that got a chance to direct Alien 3 and Alien 3 was such a massive clusterfuck in terms of direct in terms of studio interference that he had to argue every day after shooting for a full day with studio executives about particular choices so it was essentially like and this is not an analogy totally colored his entire career 
this is not an analogy either of you would understand, but it is like when they send Goku to train in the 50x gravity. Wait, let me get Nadia. She's my in Dragon Ball Z. So he comes out and he he is trained in 50x gravity. So when he comes out, he's just super good at fighting because he's he's used to know. So it's like that. Now Piccolo wears that heavy ass coat, isn't that thing? And um, and why his balls are fucking three feet below his pelvis. What? I, 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 I didn't know that in a piccolo. I, 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 but, Google it. But um, I, 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 oh dear. Uh, but I, I now I'm I'm all Sorry. piccolo balls out. But I, but I think yeah, like this is just another case of he he had made Fight Club and he was like, oh, I want to make a simple film, and then instead he spent a year making a film set in one building. Like this took a year to make. Um, yeah, and they I just build- want you to know also that Nadia is screaming from upstairs. It helps him train. Oh, uh, <laughs> just, just it, so you it know, does, good. it does. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but like it's like he this 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 film was enormously complicated to make, but in a very different way. But the script itself is very simple, you know, and you can tell like he's trying to do simple things. Like he he, I guarantee you something. Or, or, and I know and he mentioned a little bit about this I listened to some of the commentary but I knew immediately that one of the reasons the, the film is cast the way it is because originally it was supposed to be um, it was Kidman. originally yeah Kidman yeah and she got uh, injured on Moulin she Rouge she got Moulin Rouge yeah, and then Hayden Patineri was there and as far as I can tell it was just annoying so <laughs> they got they, they got what happened was they got Kay Sue instead of Hayden Patineri yeah. and the comment people made about uh, Kirsten Stewart was wife. She's like a young Jodie Foster. So ever the pragmatist, <laughs> she just went. We just get get, get Jodie Foster then. Call Jodie Foster. Uh, call Jodie. Get get me Jodie Foster's agent right now. And and that that's what they did. And um and but I know that he. It's a it's a, the cast of this film. So what happens in the film? We should do the plot. Again. Oh yeah, let's do the plot. <laughs> A cornered man with I, too much money and not enough sense arranges the home invasion of a divorced woman with too much money and not enough sense. And the only things that can protect her and her diabetic daughter are late capitalist real estate fascism and the sympathies of Forrest Whitaker. That's there we are. That's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. Oh, I, uh, I, I let you guys in last time. Yeah, no, this that was holy yeah, shit. Yeah. Like that was worth. You should have done that forty three minutes ago. That was, <laughs> that, that was unbelievable. That's as but, good as they get right there. But, but what what Anthony has so perfectly laid out there is that the cast is very small, and and you've essentially got the three guys breaking in, which is Forrest Whitaker, Dwight Yoakam, Jared Leto, and then you've got um, uh, Jodie Foster and Kirsten Stewart as the mother and daughter. Of those five people, one of them is a child, one of them is Jared Leto, possibly at the stage of his career where he's most easy to manipulate, which is yeah. very clear if you hear Still likable. Talk too. about them. And the other three people are people who have directed multiple films, so have <laughs> therefore have earned the trust of David Fincher. Like all Shit, three of those people are directors, too. yeah. So he's so he you can tell he's like no, they know what they're doing. They're an actual director. So much so, in fact, that Forrest Whitaker he had a this is the mind blowing piece of information uh, that I found from the commentary. Probably not that mind blowing, but he said, "Oh, I didn't know Forrest first as an actor. I knew him as a director because he signed a development deal with Propaganda." films the music video studio that um fincher made you know vogue and all you know all the big videos for yeah um 
he and he was the he was set to baby he was the guy sent to babysit Forrest Whitaker when they gave him a test video. Oh make. shit! Yeah, so Forrest Whitaker directed the video for. Let me see if I can find it. I have the name of the film here somewhere, or the name of the um the song here somewhere. It was by it's, it was like some kind of quite treacly R and B song by a, a woman called Pepsi's thank you for my girl. It was like, thank you. Like, it's like thanking. Oh, sorry. Thank you for my child. Thanks for my child by Cheryl Pepsi Riley. Oh. And, and they assigned, they were like, okay, we're, we're going to assign you David Fincher. So David Fincher has literally observed him directing and, and, and therefore was like, okay, I trust him to do the, oh, the thing. You know, amazing. Um, and yeah. Anthony, you told me about Cheryl Pepsi Riley, I think, didn't you? Isn't that like, I mean, a I'm aware she exists. Offshoot? I don't think we've discussed her. Okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, and he also directed Strapped, which we've covered on this podcast, starring fucking Das FX, which is madness, crazy movie, very, very. And Ghost uh, Dog, didn't he direct Ghost Dog? Too? No, 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 that was that Jim was, Jarmusch. Oh yeah, yeah that, that was, was Jim Man Jarmusch. Jimmy, yeah, Big yeah. Jim, craggy faced '90s sex man, I think is what Sean <laughs> called it. <laughs> JJ, I, 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 I'm a lot less um, harsh on Jim Jarmusch now as I've gotten what ten years older. How long we've been doing this podcast? But like, <laughs> however long this episode is, plus ten. Years. But, <laughs> But I, uh, I, yeah, no, I just thought it was it was really interesting that they were all direct. You know, Dwight I Yoakum. didn't even put that together. Yeah, yeah. Dwight Yoakam had already directed, acted, and like scored and written films because like, the, films, yeah, plural. because he was like he's and he's explaining this in the commentary. And he's like, yeah, because you need somebody who's just able to understand. He tells the story actually. He's like, people make a big deal of Bogart's nod in in um, Casablanca. That it means so much, you know, where they get up and they start playing the song where it's like, actually, fuck Hitler, you know, whatever. Um, like, that's not the song, but they, they, they sing a song. You, like, you are a Mojo Nixon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's me. But they, um, uh, he said, and, and the story was then in the actual, you know, that there's so much made of like acting and how much, you know, how much, and this is a real, this is a real Fincher story because it is extremely cynical. And in fact, what happened was Michael Curtiz went over to Fincher, or went over to Humphrey Bogart when they were shooting and said, we need another shot. We need to just go over there and nod. And Humphrey Bogart did it. There was no yeah, big discussion. You know, it was just like, that's it. So he said, you need to be able to tell somebody, go there and they need to understand all the stuff. So what they were doing is they had a 3D version of the house and they were, they were, they were, choreographing the camera moves of, the, of what was going to happen and they'd show the actors so the actors would know what was happening and then they said that they needed people that would understand instructions straight away because so much of the shoot is like so what happens is they're breaking into this um, panic room so they're pulling apart walls they're going into pipes and everything so they constantly had to be rebuilding these sets like that scene where Dwight Yoakam just throwing uh, a sledgehammer up into the, the sledgehammer up into the ceiling. They did that thirty nine times or something. And yeah, because it took forever to rebuild the, yeah. the drywall. And every single time they they reshot that, they rebuilt the drywall and did it again. There is a really funny moment on the cast and crew commentary, which I haven't seen, but somebody, um, a really really kind person, um, who's I think Twitter name is like uh, Bane Title or something, um, who listens to um, uh, listens to like, the Death Factory and stuff, has made clips from it before, which I always think is really kind of it weirds me out. It's a very nice compliment to have something, even if it's usually me being stupid or forgetting somebody's name. But uh, they clipped out a bit of the because I, I was just searching to see if anyone I know had said anything about Panic, and they. They they had um, clipped out a bit where it was Dwight Yoakam being like, 
did fucking Jodie Foster say that shit? And then you hear Jodie Foster being like, Dwight Yoakam is just one of the most accident-prone people. And he's like, I'm not. And like, he kept going back and he's like, I don't know where she's getting this from. She wasn't on set that day, so someone else must have. And she's like, he was just so accident-prone. And, it's like, and it's, like, it's like, I don't know what, like, no, I'm not. Like, I'm not that I at all. I can't with your Jodie Foster. He was like, you know, because he, he just, he must have, from a child, he must have been able to. And he said, she said this to me. She came up and she said, oh, from a child, you must be. Not till I got to the set of Panic Room, I was fine. You know, and I will say Dwight Yoakam's performance as Raul, which like hilarious. Yeah, like, Fincher was just like just some like pseudonym that he gave. Yeah, him. Fincher was like, yeah, it said Raul, and I said it doesn't have to fucking look. It's so Fincher talking about a script is really funny because you can tell he's like, uh, like a, just hewn in the fire of a million shitty arguments. You know, like I said, <laughs> so like sometimes he totally ignores what it says, where it's like, yeah, the character's called Raul, and it's like, yeah, it's his alias. What <laughs> you know, yeah, like fuck, it's, yeah. it's like it's, a, it's Dwight Yoakam in a in a fucking balaclava, like he's in the fucking yeah. UVF, Which I, like, and driving a bus in Flatbush. Yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> the only detail you get about him. He's a bus driver in, he's Flatbush. A bus driver in Flatbush, which he looks like a bus driver from Flatbush, which is so mind blowing that he's like. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the Hall of Fame as like one of the our greatest country singers, which is just bananas when you see him in films. Yeah, it's it's very weird. He's always like a greasy weirdo, like in Crank. I I was gonna say all, Crank. Yeah, yeah. Crank. I love Dwight Yoakam on camera, so that that's the whole reason I wanted to watch this movie. Yeah, because yeah. I love ever since Three Burials of Melchiades Estrada. It like I was like, wait, this guy. This is he has something that nobody else has anywhere ever. It's just so strange. Yeah. He's really bizarre looking and he knows it. And he like for his films, he just leans into it so much. And then on his covers of his albums, he's like, it's glossy and like he tries to, you know, make himself fit into a different anyway. I'm just completely obsessed with Dwight Yoakam as an actor. And I think this one actually is maybe a little bit underwhelming because he he's too good in it well he's very yeah he's very like he's he's doing such a good performance and he's contrasting like Jared Leto gets every funny line in the film yeah and and then when the film like and he's and Fincher talking about Leto is so funny because you can kind of maybe I'm like projecting right but he's like oh yeah yeah he's really enthusiastic yeah yeah he's like he kind (laughs) of like he he let him like and, and and like Jared Leto's the one who came up for that that character to have cornrows which is a genius amazing for that character yeah. to have because his his character is he was the guy who should be inheriting the money that yeah. they're stealing basically um but like and is also obsessed with why he's not inheriting all the money but is a white man with cornrows that appears to be smoking meth throughout the movie yeah so exactly. it's a yeah. complete lack of self-awareness yeah, is he yeah. really smoking meth I, yeah, I see smoking something because because uh, Forrest Whitaker says, "Oh yeah, that's going to help" or whatever, you know. Oh, yeah, and it looks like he's using uh, what are those lighters that get extra hot? Oh, like a butane kind of thing. Yeah, he's oh, using like a, like a butane lighter. Yeah. lighter. Oh, but, he's got, but even the non funny eleven beers. I don't know. Even, even when he's being like serious, he's got such like the perfect general leader line is when they're talking about how to get them out of the room for the first thing because they're in this panic room and the sound. There's so many technical details. You can like that's the thing I think that really probably got Fingers is but you know like they can talk out but they can't get sound in you know kind of thing. It's like it's yeah. not a it's not a two way. So they're holding up signs and Darlie really confidently goes, "She's a woman." 
women need security. And she holds up a sign the like, we will not hotline I wrote down. Literally the only hotline I wrote down. <laughs> we will not kill you or something. <laughs> and then he goes into their bathroom. He's like, how do you live in New York and not have a single Percocet? Uh, but I sure like, let a woman understand her in this movie. Yeah, it's yeah. He's so it's like, wow, there's a guy. Yeah, I mean, he could probably run a cult or something. Uh, but, <laughs> but like, I thought him talking to Raul as well, where you know Dwight Yoakam really convincingly delivers the line like "Don't make me shove something up your ass and break it off up there, or whatever." Yeah, he does a lot and of he, tough guy talk that yeah. is so hard to get right. It's so hard. <laughs> but Lee was like, "You're a bus driver, Raul." <laughs> like it just it's so funny. But my favorite. So in every in every like, and I know like film bro talking about David Fincher is such a boring person to be. Sorry, everybody. But my favorite <laughs> Fincher detail in this, one hundred percent. When um, after Raul shoots Jared Leto, he turns around and or oh no, after he shoots, oh who was it? Yeah, he, Jared, he shoots Jared. He turns around, he pushes the gun in Forrest Whitaker's face, and it burns him because yeah. it's a yeah. gun. That's just no other director's doing that. No one's going. You're fucking burning me, you know, like because it's like yeah. the, the physical object is so important. To, like just hearing Vinger talk about how hard it was to get all the feathers cleaned up and stuff. You know, yeah. it's like because uh, that building, they went and scouted a load of buildings, and then they just built a building, a set that had the bits they liked of everyone that they saw. That, that's that's how they did it and that, that what i was saying about him in the script as well is like sometimes he know he kind of fucks around with it like the Raul thing but other times like he said oh yeah no like that shot at the start is the most expensive shot in the movie where where they managed to so show you the, the house. house yeah they managed to show you the whole house and loads of people hate that shit and think it's corny they fuck you like I think that's cool. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I, I still think that's that's at the, like because I was a load of reviews on Letterbox being like CGI camera panning. Oh, sorry, the magic of cinema isn't available to you. But, I mean, uh, it does get to a little bit of like what is it? The got the life video a little oh, bit. Uh, or, uh, on a leash. The more, what, whatever one with the bullet. Tell you what, yeah. You're you're you are backing up such an incorrect tree if you want. To. <laughs> Against the Got the Life video, it's Freak on a Leash, by the way. Freak but, on, there we go. Yeah, but um, but uh, but but uh, but it's so it, it is silly, but it's cool. But I don't it's know. great. That's a great yeah. video. But he, but he, he was he was talking about. He was like, yeah, I, I, I kept reshooting it till it looked like a human being couldn't do it, which is such a funny. Well, that but is he, the thing too about all those movies of this era. You're always put inside something you didn't ask to be inside of. Yeah. It's like, well, oh, it's, it's like now. The, great. Yeah, it reaches its apex and apex in Breaking Bad, where you're like, why am I a barrel right now? <laughs> Yeah. I am in a face tank. Fuck this! Like, yeah. uh, but but he in he said, "Oh, this is the most expensive scene." But it's in the script, so we had to do it. And then there's like a pause in the commentary. He's like, "Actually, I don't know if it's in the script <laughs> or if I just kept saying." it's in the script, we have to do it as a lie to make it happen. When every time someone would say, this shot is too expensive, I'd say, but David Kep wrote it in the script and you want him to, to write Spider-Man 2. <laughs> like, 20th Century Fox broke that man's brain in the best like, way. Yeah, he's, he, no, he's like the spider mastermind. Like He's completely unbeatable. I'm like any Anytime like Fincher talks about making films, like, who else would release a... a, a a commentary where it's so obvious he hates Ben Affleck. Like he he, he thinks he calls him like a cow on the on the Gone Girl soundtrack, and then he's like, "Yeah, Ben wouldn't wear the right fucking hat for the like." If you can find the hat clip, or he's just like, "Yeah, he oh, just, the he, just he wouldn't wear a Yankees hat." Like, what the it's a fucking hat? Like you're an actor. Like it's so funny. I really want it to be Yankees cap, uh, but. Being from Boston um, and not being very professional 
as an actor, Ben refused to wear a Yankees cap. And we, I mean, it did not come to blows, but we had to shut down production for four days as we negotiated with Patrick Weitzel over what would be the best thing for the movie, what Patrick thought would be the best way to meet the requirements of the production and something that his client could live with, which I thought was entirely unprofessional. But, um, but yeah, uh, no, I, I just think, like, the film, it's funny because there's very little to talk about in terms of, like, it's really incoherent in terms of politics or whatever. Um, well, I'm sure it wasn't to Anthony. I'm sure you <laughs> pulled out so much shit. Well, it was interesting when I was reading about his, because I didn't, I'm only recently after fucking eight years of doing this podcast, starting to think about movies the way I think about music. So, like, I never really thought about, like, David Fincher's process versus anybody else's. And it's interesting because the points that it seems like the studio got the maddest with him are the things he was always correct about. And one of them is that apparently some fucking dipshit test audience thought that the problem was that uh, the only sympathetic character was Forrest Whitaker. So they basically tried to, like make Forrest Whitaker less likable. And it's like, have you ever met someone from Greenwich, Connecticut, moving into a (laughs) giant fucking apartment on the Upper West Side? Like, that person's going to be an unsufferable piece of shit. Like, it is a literal laugh line to find out that the diabetic child is the daughter of a pharmaceutical executive. (laughs) (laughs) These people are being punished for our amusement. And that's what the fucking appeal is. Yeah. It's, it's really like, it's like, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very weird. He does. He is, he does understand. Yeah. That kind of stuff. And and I definitely think, I definitely think that they could have gone harder in with almost apart from Leto, who who is just like that character is just, that's why how you were gonna always someone was gonna play that character and like and 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 Dwight Yoakam as Raul is like way almost like like you said uh, Ryan like way too good at what he's doing almost you know like giving like a really good performance you know Whitaker could have been slightly different and and I think you know Kirsten Stewart and it is very weird when you're watching now when you're watch, watch Kirsten Stewart beside Jodie Foster and you're like this would be stunt casting if you could tell the future. Right, you, know, you could grow up and be like, "It's reverse stunt casting." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's like, because it's like, oh, this woman is about to have the same career that Jodie Foster had. You know, like the same, like you know, ch- child star suddenly, you know, ends up as like an actual, um, you know, and then like, uh, uh, like ends up as like iconic our, lesbian our character. living actor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about Dwight this Yoakum. for stunt casting? How about instead of the musician being Dwight Yoakam, it's John Hinckley? <laughs> oh man you know like you know people tried to like do a tour with john hinckley and it didn't go off yeah we're just gonna play here market hotel we talked about going and basically we're like we don't want to be there if gunfire happens. well the yeah. thing is like it's not even like it's like what i think about the john hinckley stuff it's like yeah like he shot like first of all he didn't i don't mean fired by john hinckley yeah, for the record yeah, i mean he's, fired yeah. by a republican lunatic right okay yeah yeah that, that makes sense yeah, yeah, like, that I, look he's no sirhan sirhan but yeah. i i i, I <laughs> the my, hand was framed my new second guy. time he's come up on the podcast sirhan, sirhan was, was actually for yes he was if he if what he thank you anthony now i will talk <laughs> 
Uh, great no. lunch. <laughs> you guys read American tabloid. Oh he, he had, uh, like, first of all, um, if you look at, if you read the book, uh, time like, is a flat circle. This is a um, Has American three tabloid, Yeah, American tabloid. Also, if you read the book, uh, the one about mind control, you'll see that Sirhan Sirhan said all of the mind control cues and didn't actually remember doing what he said. Anyway, but no, but I think with John Hinckley, like that's just a, a mentally ill guy who was like in prison for like yes. decades. Like, if you go see him, like, people, it's like when friends of mine were like, yeah, now I'm not comparing the illnesses, I'm not comparing the person, but it's like I remember people were like, oh, did you hear Daniel Johnson has gone to Dublin? And I'm like, I'm not going to that. That guy yeah. doesn't want to be doing that. Like, people are, like, I don't, I always thought, like, I don't think that guy should be on stage. Like, he's yeah. not, like, he's not well, you know? And then people went and they came back and they were like, he's not well. You know, like that was the, the feedback. Rocky Erickson too. I always yeah. feel weird yeah. about. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like even like Hope Sandoval, just like people that have like fucking anxiety, even to a certain point. Like yeah, that is like how they're paying Cat the bills. Power. The the aforementioned Cat Power, a woman who it seems like fifty percent of the gigs she's she plays bursts into tears and kicks something over because it yeah. doesn't end right because she has crippling anxiety and um you know and like like it just it's just weird you know so John Hinckley I'd say kind of. Hank, yeah, I wouldn't. I, I would wouldn't, love to see him in this. I, I wouldn't mean, be lying. I mean, he'd be incredible in this. Listen, like as the as the cop who shows up. Can you imagine a bigger pop from me and Anthony and no one else on planet Earth if she opened the door <laughs> and the cop was John Hinckley? It would be the greatest thing of all time. Like you would point, you would be pointing so hard. It would just huge, be like huge wasted cameo potential for with the cop in this. Well, um, I want to go back to the speaking of the cop. I want to go back to these archetypes we started talking about, where it's like, okay, pharmaceutical executive, pharmaceutical executives, disgraced wife, their daughter. Um, it's why rich, is she disgraced? Well, because she, it You're was like a public her. affair, and like, oh, was and, her? Yeah, and oh, so she, was, she, he had the affair, not her. Why yeah, is she, she disgraced did. via the affair? Misogynist. <laughs> he, he's the disgraced one. <laughs> yeah, but he got he got away crystal clean. He was totally fine. She had to go live in a fucking nightmare house, and so <laughs> in he, the most expensive <laughs> house in the world, in like Ghana's GDP or whatever, <laughs> like <laughs> worth of a house. Yeah, yeah, for her. And, and then you have the fail son, like obviously, like w- the son of the person who used to own the house, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the awesome. two worst classes of society: a real estate agent and a broker are also the only two people to deliver any information in this yes. movie are the worst. And I just, just moved. So I have a particular no, hatred. No, I, for I, I, I was picking up that. See the, the uh, detail from Fender's commentary, the broker has a golden chain within escrow. Uh, no, are you uh, kidding uh, me? Don't you do? You end up not saying they end up not showing it, but yeah, she had a golden chain with an escrow. Right? Oh my god, that's insane! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that that's was deliberate, thing. just awful. Yeah. The worst people. So it's like, and then a bus driver. You know, like I don't know the classes <laughs> of fucking bus driver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and just like a probably union guy who does security systems. So like yeah. the all the classes are classes interesting. Life's rich tapestry, all in this film. And my favorite guy, me, who is the guy who sees them signing <laughs> SOS and just pulls his curtain stoically and goes back to his... That yes. guy who's great Nothing says just moved to New York more <laughs> than being like, I bet my neighbors will help when I annoy them. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, Fincher's favorite part of the script, where he was like, I just love this idea that they wouldn't help. I think it's dead. I think it's completely accurate. Like, you know, That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, man, we have talked about this movie, haven't we? Anthony, did you enjoy Panic Room? 
I did. Uh, it reminded me of two movies, uh, and I don't know that uh, anyone will see these uh, related at all. Gaudy, I mean, there's obviously the real window and all that. Uh, well, no, I was going to say uh, one movie that we watched for this. It's got like a 13 Ghosts feel. All Fincher's weird tricks that like yeah, yeah. going like up and down floors. Yeah, and 100%. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's Flying a good through things To yeah. give you, well, like 13 Ghosts utterly fails at letting you know where anybody is at, yeah, yeah. at any given time but this movie is great at letting you know where people are so my, my like, favorite in terms of where people are my favorite shot is when they're going down the escalator or the elevator and you see jared leader trying to pull the door off and it's like a split it's like a split screenshot but it's actually one you know it's actually just shows yeah. split between, amazing yeah yeah, yeah. And he's like really pulling that door. So okay, yeah. thirteen. What was the other one? The other film, uh, The other. Have you guys ever seen uh, the Landlord with Bo Bridges? No, no. Yes, I, I have. Yes, uh, is it's on movie? YouTube in full length. It's from nineteen sixty nine. It's one of Hal Ashby's. Hal Ashby. First yeah, movies. it's his first uh, film. Yeah, the guy that did fucking uh, Harold and Maud and uh, being there with Peter Sellers and all that shit. And Last Detail of Jack yeah. best performance. Yeah, and it's basically about gentrification in Brooklyn, but like the first first wave, where he's yeah. just some like weird rich asshole fail son who gets sick of just like drinking beer in the lawn of his parents' mansion. So he takes his trust fund and buys like a fixer-upper building and is planning to slowly evict people while making it like a nicer place to live for himself and fucking no one else but then he ends up like falling in love with like one of the uh the tenants in the building but it's really interesting because it's all about like the i don't want to say the first wave of gentrification because america as a project is gentrification but like Uh, the the wave of it that is the most germane to the experience of people currently undergoing gentrification in uh the new york uh boroughs so, yeah, yeah. That's, it's that's, a splendid that's, fucking no, movie too. That's, that, that's that, yeah, no, that's a great like that landlord comparison is very good. But weird thing about the landlord, uh, comics are very strange, right? Like mm-hmm. superhero comics. I know they're like like the source material for all media now, but what people who make comics are actually doing are, are weird to the extent that the plot of Hal Ashby's The Landlord has been given to not one but two superheroes across two different proper so so they did that with daredevil they got daredevil to buy an apartment block um and run it and everyone knows he's daredevil and it's sort of an in-joke where people are like hi daredevil he's like it's not my name it's Matt. it's Matt. like you know and then that was so successful that when they relaunched nightwing he also bought an apartment block and everyone kind of knows he's nightwing <laughs> and like, Isn't that like, also the plot of RoboCop three. It's that a- um now that's where my expertise leaves. Unfortunately, <laughs> I, I haven't seen it. Either, I've only made it, but 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 it's just very funny that it was used twice. And but those are those are great comparisons. The stylistic one and the kind of the setting. Yeah, I think I didn't remind me of any like what I like. I mean, you know, there's films like Wait Until Dark or whatever. You know, like home invasion films or whatever. But I actually like the fact that it goes in a straight line and there's not really any twists or anything. That that's true. Yeah. The re, the resistance to the twist is is really nice. I don't, yeah. I don't need a damn twist. Yeah, Just you don't need to know it. like actually Dwight Yoakam's working on the inside and he's the, no. There's none of that shit. Like it's just like a series of problems that they have to solve, and you know they have to go and it's like no man. I I think it's very simple. I like the way it looks. I think it's dated as fuck looking, obviously, mm. but it, like you know. Dave Fincher, you know, he started this gangster shit. Is this the motherfucking gangster? Yes. Um, like, I think he, he he just... And I actually have a note here that says, David Fincher thinks about films 
half the way a great director thinks about films and half the way Anthony thinks about films. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, this is obviously inspired by like, you know, whatever. And then he'll be like, why, why would they be holding that? They wouldn't be holding that. Like that like his, half of his half of his director is like, no, if that guy has to hold that, he has to hold it the whole fucking time. What, what, like that, that's it. Like, why would he come in? Like, whoa, what? You know, I mean, that, that's so uh, there's so many points in the script where, where it is like something you'd be like, well, why would he need that? You know, like it's, it's and, and it works. That's the thing. Yeah. He, there's he, always somebody there to hang a lampshade on those questions too. It's what I liked about the very last scene is based on all the studio interference and based on what an ornery cuss uh, it seems like Fincher is the idea that somehow like there needs to be growth from Jodie Foster and her daughter at the end of the movie. Uh, but obviously they're shitheads. So the way they convey growth is that they're sitting around and they're like, maybe we don't need giant pretentious real estate maybe we can live in a house with like a regular amount of square footage like i'm convinced 90 percent of american mental illness is just these awful families screaming at each other down long fucking hallways these houses that are seven times bigger they need to fucking be and like after nearly being fucking brained by dwight yoakam with a sledgehammer maybe being like you know if i can just speak to you in a regular voice and there's not fucking four flights of stairs between two people maybe uh, it'll be a little more civil and reasonable to live like that's the only type of growth that you could actually see from people capable of buying that kind of apartment yeah Anthony, uh, uh, you want to share your your rule for living i think it's actually a very good one about yelling from different parts of the house oh it's forbidden it, it drives everyone fucking crazy you should live within earshot of all people when I when I when Lisa says something to me and I'm in the kitchen with the fan on and she stands on the stairs, which is like kind of the other end of the house really, and says something. So I'm not an abusive husband, right? I just want to make this clear, right? It's gonna sound like I am. But this is the one thing that annoys me to such an extent. What I do sometimes is I stop cooking, I run out to where she is, and then I face the corner of the room, stand right up against it and whisper it, and then say this is what you're doing. <laughs> this is why not. Why not just do this? No, no, no. And, this is you. This and is Lisa, like. Me, like one day, I'm gonna kill this fat motherfucker, <laughs> and I'm gonna be free. But I think no, like I, no, I think yeah, like that, that room is so good because like I like. You know, I so most people I know are people who live in small in, in, in the US, live in small apartments in cool cities, you know, mm-hmm. like that kind of so so they always get really mad when I point this out. But like American houses, if you're on the internet, you're like, How big is this fucking house? It's like a very common like, Oh, and it, it rots your brain. There's yeah. a direct connection between correlation between like the size of your house and the stupider the, the content you look at on the internet. Like I think you get dumber. But it's, it's, the houses are so kidding. big. Like yeah. you look at YouTube and, and, and TikTok, it's just one of the main things. It's like, how is he still walking? Like, <laughs> you know, like and walking from one side of the house to another. Like the Skinnamarink could not have been made in any other country because like Skinnamarink so is basically just like looking at a normal American house is Skinnamarink to me. You know, like because yeah. like yeah, and what, and what if that was weaponized? Fucking, fucking yeah. huge, like you know, like it's oh man, it's crazy. Such big houses. So yeah, it is very funny that at the end they're like, let's have a normal expensive house. <laughs> you know, it's like oh wow, I'm gonna. You know, I think like I think you know, it, it, the ending was very. It's almost like they 
you know, oh, they had the cops go away, but then they just had them come back is very, is kind of crap. And then, oh, you know, actually it all hinged on Varus Whitaker being a good guy, but then he got arrested anyway, which feels like a haze code ending where it's like, mm. he must be arrested because there he must, must be a consequence. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He must have consequence for his actions. And then they do the ending of, is it the killers? Is it the killing? No, it's, it's the killers, isn't it? Where he, all the money flows around him. Like he puts his hands up and all the money floats away. In, on the wind when, when he's holding his hands up or whatever, you know, mm. like, which is, which is a very, like, it's from, I think it's from The Killers, but it's a very 1950s ending because it's like, us cops aren't distracted by money. Like, if one NYPD cop knew what was on that paper, they would be headshotting every single human <laughs> being to get that money, you know. But I mean, friend of the podcast, Brandon's book is literally about, like, not yeah. New York cops, but the insatiable need to just take the money if they see it to shoot people in the head yeah like absolutely an addiction but like yeah it's 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 to me it's not it's it's compromised and it's very it's very it it has less personality than it could but i think like the 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 bits in when you're watching it's really exciting like i'll I'll say this by the way i'd never seen it before this was i expected he would have ran through his whole yeah that's like well well you know for the first and last time on this podcast ryan let me say pause Uh, but i i I even 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 i must pause sometimes it's hour and 10 minutes in no one's gonna hear it um yes me a man who is is by definition a a, a six on the kinsey scale but anyway i like i i just i that's a pass I i had avoided it because I don't know, maybe it was because I thought it was so obvious or something. So now the only two I haven't seen are The Social Network and Mank. Mank, yeah. and I'm That's interesting because I want to go back. I didn't like The Social Network when I first saw it. And not knowing anything about Fincher, I was of the belief that all of the crankiness about just the idea that social media would be inherently evil was coming from that of an old man not that of like well there is the Aaron just, Sorkin of it all too yeah, so yeah that's yeah, just yeah, it the Sorkinness yeah. was really frustrating but the, now knowing more about Fincher and knowing more about his contempt like in my reading it was like well of course he's a piece of shit he's a tech guy like, like he's a business guy um but like seeing something like the idea that the pretentious real estate agent is like you don't need to worry about getting trapped in the door there's these sensors. This is a very nice house and competent people installed this panic room. And then an hour later, Yoakum gets his fucking hand caught in it. I want to go back and look for that kind of shit in the social network. Now that I know that Fincher seems to be like, more in line with what I think about things, like yeah. Yeah. through that lens, you'll probably I'm, like it. Then I think he's pretty. Cons- I think he's more nihilist than he is like you. I don't think he has much of an ideological bent. You can't be, okay. uh, you can't be super ideological and sign on to direct World War Z two, which he, he had. <laughs> like he's not, you know, he's not fucking Che Guevara. Like he's still, but he's just an uh, like he he doesn't he kind of you know the kind of stuff. It's almost like the way film fans talk about Hollywood, he like the Sony leaks, right? Everyone came out with the Sony leaks looking like an idiot, except David Fincher, because David Fincher, like there was someone said, I was working at Sony then, which was insane. Oh, really? And, yeah, and, and, uh, what's the famous David Fincher, hold on, David Fincher, Sony leak. Cause it's really funny because it's, uh, it's like, it's like, it's uh it's it's um it's like they email him and they're like look at this headline and he like talks to them about the diff it's like you know it's like david fincher refuses to do something you know and and the next headline down is like they're picking this guy to be spider-man and 
the person sends him the headline and is like, what the fuck? And he's like, uh, interesting choice for Spider-Man. <laughs> like, doesn't, like, <laughs> like, doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> like, absolutely. Just it's like don't. when I send something to my father and he just absorbs the wrong part of it. Yeah. <laughs> I great. hate Howard Stern. But yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very, very funny. Like, it, it is, like, Fincher is, it seems like a very strange man. And uh, like anybody, like he, uh, oh, he also, um, in the Sony leaks, I forgot this. Everyone else is like saying really stupid shit. One of the things they, they have Fincher saying is quite early on in the archive as well, saying there's a huge problem with leaks at Sony. Like, like, <laughs> it's like the one guy who like knows what's going on. You know, he's like, there's like, you know, he's like, oh man, uh, like fucking it, amazing. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, he's, he's a, yeah, I, I, now he's a notoriously horrible man to, uh, to be directed by, like, just, you know, like, like Michael Mann, but with no soul, you know, in terms of intensity, <laughs> and will just do stuff over and over and over again and everything. But I think a fantastic, like, a really interesting, idiosyncratic, nihil, kind of fairly nihilistic, like, very, like, directs human beings, like, like, okay, so if you want to understand Venture, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Which I haven't seen. I really want to see. I love this. Love that. The feel bad movie of the year. The best trailer ever made, maybe. Yes. One of the best, definitely one of the best trailers ever made. But he's the girl. He he understands the girl with the dragon tattoo. Like, and he's not making a film like it's emotional, but he knows what it's like to be so good at something that you kind of get annoyed by everyone around you. Like (laughs) that film is about David Fincher being like, here's what it's like to be David Fincher. <laughs> it's like the girl with the dragon hunter, where she's like an incredible hacker can just understand all this stuff, you know, like, but like socially has like no fucking idea what's going on. And it's like David Fincher's clearly like, that's me, you know, like, uh, that's what I, that's what I always think. I, I really think it, because one of the things I want to, one of the things that, you know, you see Hollywood films a lot, the narrator is usually the hero, right? Where it's like, there are very few David Fincher films where the main character or the narrator isn't like a, an idiot or isn't missing some key piece of information like Zodiac, like the guy who's the fucking real guy, a real guy who wrote the book, who was involved with the film. Like David Fincher is making fun of that character that Jake Gyllenhaal plays the entire time. He has Robert Downey Jr. call him like a fuckhead and like on purpose. Like he makes him like into a cartoon wacky character because he knows he's an idiot. You know, the guy in Mindhunter is an asshole. Again, real guy wrote the book <laughs> like like David Fincher makes fun of him and then in the second season kind of brushes his character aside to go into the more interesting character yeah we're done with you get out of here you know like yeah. it's like oh yeah yeah you know not 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 that interested like Gone Girl you know you know like I don't want to spoil Gone Girl but like God, everyone's an asshole in fucking Gone Girl Social Network you know he's like well clearly this guy's a fucking this piece of people are one 80. of the most powerful people in the world and he's like yeah yeah and it's like look at this hey, look at this like again he shoots he didn't get like, laid um, what a dork haha yeah like you look at this trailer what I, like I did, yeah exactly I didn't see the I haven't seen the film but I, I that trailer of them rowing I'm like yeah man like this is he thinks they're like alien spaceships. Yeah. Like you know, like this is, um, and like you know, uh, it's ah, uh, just I just he he's such an interesting like just working on you, Ant. Does this this make you want to go through his filmography? Is this yeah, no, I, yeah, I I enjoyed Paddinger. I also am a sucker for this kind of a movie where it's like compact set, 
small cast. Like everything should be fucking like small theater to me. It the only thing that makes sense. Why I like the Twilight Zone so much? So watching someone do a movie like this effectively engages me and makes me want to see them do other shit because the first part of me hating nearly everything is just assuming it's going to be a nightmare. But okay, if they so we're going to watch Alien 3 like together. This. Yeah, okay. exactly. Oh, rumor control here the facts. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, that, that, that is, that's going to be great. I will say my, my last thing with Fincher that I, I don't have a venue to say anywhere else. Sorry, I'm ruining the podcast. Nope. Uh, but <laughs> turn it mine now, so I guess I can ruin it on a moment. But uh, I, uh, I'm taking my turn, which is all, all the drops. I don't know how that works, but I'll figure it out. But, yeah, uh, we'll figure it out. But, <laughs> but I, um, it, it's, it's, so Fincher made, made the best films about serial killers as and he made the best fiction about serial killers as a mea culpa for seven i feel like both zodiac and mindhunter are him trying to demystify the serial killer after he did after he single-handedly changed how the serial killer was you know like he like seven like i know there was i know about Mandar, I of all people i know about the film about serial killers before that but there was so many faux sevens and there was so many tv series that were basically just like oh seven the, the crazy world of the serial killer and everything like this you know and like he just he, absolutely smashed it, like and, knocked it out of the park. He made, he made the worst that he, yeah. version ever. And then, and then, and then Zodiac is like him. Like there's a key bit in Zodiac where they're like traffic kills more people in one weekend than Zodiac has in his entire career. Why do you care about this? <laughs> and and the guy and the guy's like I I I, I don't and it's like and it's like you know and 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 then and they even says to him like they thought they were helping. They like to think he the, the Robert Robert Mason, I think it's Robert Grace, it says to the guy who plays the cop that Dirty Harry is based on, or who is a real guy who is in Zodiac, um, that the Hulk plays. But uh he's like um he says to him, they like about serial killers, he says, They like to think they're helping. And your man looks at him and he goes, Yeah, they do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like that says and, and if Zodiac wasn't enough, then he made Mindhunter. Mindhunter is a show about profiling something that doesn't work that that has never caught any major serial killer um the biggest characters like okay so biggest serial killers in the the the, the one that everybody talks about the guy with the big tash you know in 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 mindhunter um oh what's that guy's name um it's edmund kemper kemper Here's how Edmund Kemper got caught. He walked into a police station and said, "I'm a serial killer." Um, and then, uh, and the, like that's how you know so fussy over what profiling is. It's and a, the, now, uh, now, yeah. hold on. Now, now that I know how David Fincher operates, and now that I know that he has contempt for sort of the movers and shakers because he has contempt for everybody. So it's not the same yeah. as my contempt, but it is a, no. a shared contempt. Do they actually show Diane Feinstein nearly fucking up the entire search for the Zodiac killer because she's just an awful, ignorant piece of shit? Does that I, happen? I, I don't. I actually don't remember. They show loads of really weird, like 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 everything about Zodiac. I can't remember honestly. I don't think Diane Feinstein's in it. Okay. But they but they do lots of really strange stuff with the Zodiac. Like every time the Zodiac killer appears on screen, he's played by a different person on purpose. Like and the, the voice is every time you hear his voice, it's a different person on purpose. Oh. Uh, and 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 they'll put stuff in, but they won't be. They won't necessarily say this is the Zodiac, and they'll say 
And it, it almost like is like saying this was a lot of stuff that happened around the same time, less so that it was one guy, you know. Um, the, but the, the but Mindhunter, the other thing about Mindhunter is that the thing that really keyed me off that this is him make kind of almost making fun of profiling is that the 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 the, the bits at the start is BTK. They show you, they keep showing you BTK yeah, at the start like the of the episode. Yeah, he's the lingering threat. Right, he's the thing. Yeah. He's at the start of the first episode and the second episode. And the first season, the second season, which is one of the best scenes of television I've ever seen. Mindhunter. Absolutely incredible. So much better. Any, like, when people talk about shit like Breaking Bad, which is literally just anime for fucking uh, American dads. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not like, like it's not a real show, you know, like, like total baby shit. Like the, the actual second season of Mindhunter is so incredible. Opens, finishes and ends with BTK. How did BTK get caught? BTK got caught because they wrote an article in his local newspaper saying, haven't heard from BTK in a while. And BTK posted in a, um, floppy disk and because he's a fucking nerd he paid for his copy of windows microsoft word and registered it to his church address so they right clicked on the metadata of the file and found out who btk was <laughs> profiling zero uh uh ted bundy uh stoplight or whatever like you know like any of them no, profiling doesn't catch any of these fucking people the atlanta child murders massive pedophilic conspiracy not one guy very obviously um like you, you know it, it they they clearly again and again profiling stupid you know like like and, and all of the big players and the big standout performances are people that didn't get and like and even berkowitz who kind of was how did berkowitz get arrested again was was berkowitz got arrested by um he he's another traffic guy wasn't he he didn't get like they didn't track him down they like yeah they probably just uh, stumbled across it they, they stumbled across like maybe but maybe they were i think they were but berkowitz is another one if you want by the way if you're into conspiracy theories david berkowitz is one is that's son of Sam, right? Yeah, son of Sam. Supposedly, he's the guy who heard his dog talk to him or whatever. Um, he, Early, uh, so says Spike Lee. Well, well, no, no, so says David Berkowitz. He's, he's, um, oh. he's, he was said that's why the the dog was called Sam. That's why it's son of Sam. Like, yeah. um, uh, but uh, but David Berkowitz is, you know, depending on what books you read, could yeah, be the got his car. could be the patsy for a um, a number of. Uh, police informant related killings there it is um, so 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 you know but so and fincher loves this kind of stuff process heavy pointless stuff you know like zodiac even the way zodiac is made zodiac has have you seen zodiac uh, anthony you haven't seen zodiac right no. but you're you're familiar with what it's like right it's like a period 70s um, yeah it's also yeah. absurdly long for a for a reason it's like yeah. a very long movie on purpose. But it has more effect shots in it than like fucking Star Trek or something. <laughs> like it has Zodiac is like they he complete he completely reconstructs um San Francisco in the 70s. Buildings that weren't there, streets that weren't there and everything. There it loads with a shot on green screen. That you wouldn't think that when you were watching it. That you that you never feel that way. Fincher's like really good at using like like there's like 60 or 70 special effects shots in panic room and it doesn't feel like that you know no, it, like, like, even you but know. then it doesn't yeah. when it does it doesn't doesn't care like yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the fire or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. Well, well, uncanny valley is so different if something is stationary yes but but like i i think but the, the thing about zodiac it's made like that right which is him saying no matter how much effort because he he if you listen to the uh commentary for zodiac it's him saying that's wrong 
they didn't say that. <laughs> we couldn't do that. That's wrong. That's wrong. And it's like he has made, basically not just made a film about how no matter how much evidence you have, once you start accruing enough evidence, stuff gets less clear, not more clear. But he has actually made the film that way as well, where he has tried so hard to recreate 70s that he's actually, all he can see are the mistakes, you know. Um, it's a really, he's a really interesting guy. I think you would, you would enjoy, uh, you would enjoy, you'd enjoy Zodiac definitely, Anthony. We might have some opportunities to uh, get back into the Finch as we pursue this experiment. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, not not all Dwight Yoakam, though. Dwight Yoakam isn't no. going to be our, our way well, into everything. But, uh, but Dwight Yoakam was fantastic, I have to so say. Good. Just just again, like, uh, like I because I was watching, I was like, oh, he must be the other guy. Oh, wow. He's giving, like, he's like MVP of the film. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, like, he, he's really, really good. Like, because he kicks it up a notch. Like, it's almost like, when he when he becomes the main antagonist, um, even though he spends loads of his time with his hand in a door screaming, um, that chaos. By the way, only the world's most organized man could make a scene as chaotic as when his hand is in the door and they're Which, screaming. And he around. reacts to in such a way that I would react if my hand was stuck. It wouldn't be outright <laughs> screaming right away. It would be shock and horror. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He he looks like he doesn't understand what's going on. Like he, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's 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 way way like it's it's way more kind of fucked up. Than, it looks so real, you know. Oh, like God. it's, it's, it's oh. like um, it's giving me kind of what do they call it now? The ick. Just thinking about it, like yeah, just that. Yeah. Like, I don't and know, it leaves open to interpretation: Is it that it hurts so bad to be in there, or is it that it hurts so bad when it's wedged in there, and yet you insist on tugging at it with the entirety of your body weight? Yeah, and then even her kicking the door too. Yeah, she like keeps kicking the door down, painful. and that makes it way more painful. As oh man, it's so, so good. good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do we have hotlines? You made it a hotline. I made it a hot song. Damn, son, where'd you find this? Um, I have. I have. Let me see. I think I have a hotline from the commentary. David Finch just says people have more vivid. Me-. He said I have more vivid memories of Road Warrior than Gandhi. I like making films with lurid concerns. <laughs> um, but uh, you're a bus driver. Raúl is great. Uh, she's a woman. Women need security. Um, yep. When Raúl reveals he has a gun, and Forrest Whitaker says, "Who are you?" and for and Joy Oakes says, "I'm Raúl." Um, <laughs> quality stuff. And then what I feel, even though David Kep. The guy who wrote this, by the way, is David Kep. Um, and if you're wondering, like, do you know who David Kep is? No, I don't know what else he's written. I didn't. Yeah, know. Schiller, he's like the highest grossing film yeah, writer he's, of all he's, time, right? He's, oh, okay, he's Mr. Cool. Money. Yeah, he wrote Spider-Man 2, just like they promised him. Uh, or no, I think he wrote Spider-Man. He didn't actually end up writing Spider-Man 2, but he wrote Jurassic, oh, God, Park, Jurassic Park, Mission Park. Impossible, <laughs> War of the Worlds, Carlito's Way. Um, like Big Indiana Cap, Jones, yeah, yeah, he's the guy they bring. He's kind of a closer, but he also wrote Snake Eyes, which is extremely weird. And again, kind of like this, like another pursuing, flying around, camera yeah, another thing. flying around mental, like who, who, <laughs> and also all the the Dan Brown films and the Mummy oh, yeah. and um, Secret Window, which um, is uh, he directed as well. No wonder Hey-oh. Secret Window sucks, Dick. Um, but yeah, the, um, oh, he wrote The Shadow. Fantastic. Um, nice. And the film where Ricky Gervais has been followed around by ghost Greg Kinnear. Wow. Oh, wow, yeah. And uh, the little engine that could. Um, but so, yeah, so David Kep wrote this, but he, but there's a line in it that I felt like, so it came out in what, like, it, it, this film was made and um, written and filmed and everything just before September 11th. Um, 
There's lots of talk about being like a pro a, a proto post 9-11 film security New York all that kind of thing oh, yeah. wouldn't, you know? and, and, but it wouldn't have been like this it wouldn't you know there would have been some extra edge to it if it had been that's why it's very weird because it's Fincher so it feels very it doesn't feel very dated but it does feel there is that element of post 9-11 paranoia kind of missing um, but uh, but there's a line where I, I was thinking like if I was David Fincher and I made thrillers like David Fincher does and I had to make thrillers in American cinema in the 90s, I too would have a bit of my film where a guy turned around to another guy and said, don't spout some Elmore Leonard bullshit you just heard on the fucking TV. Because like, surely that has to be a reference to like Paul Sarantino films or whatever. Yeah. But, um, but so yeah, it was a little, was, little on the nose there when that came up. It was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was, and, and I mean, it's Leto as well delivering it, so he really hisses it. Uh, but uh, the point is fucking moot. He's so weird in this. Yeah, so weird. He, yeah, he's he's a he's a it's a good performance. It's yeah. you can't. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't um uh fault him on it. You know, like it's it's a good it's a good performance. It's what it's exactly what Fincher wanted. Fincher like really seems to like Jared Leto, which is very funny. Yeah. Like this is like 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 at the time liked him, you know. Um but uh but yeah, it's uh but yeah, no, I just I think I think I think it's good. I don't know if it wouldn't be in my top five Fincher or anything like that, but I think it's pretty it's pretty great. Um, yeah, it's a hoot. Um, yeah, it's a definitely it's a like he said, like he says himself, it's like it's a Friday night film. Yeah. Wanted to make one of those. You know, and did you have any hotlines? Film. Uh, I did enjoy as somebody that uh, has just like a pathological hatred for people that uh, do home renovations. Uh, when the sledgehammer starts getting used against the ceiling, I believe it's Leto just walks in and yells, "Could you?" Or no, not Leto. Uh, Whitaker walks in. He's like, "Could you be any louder?" <laughs> like, <laughs> and then he takes I, out the drill. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's no, it's good. I, I, I also we've had. So many since COVID started, my neighbor on one side of our house re- gutted and rebuilt their entire house, and I work from home um, when I work. And uh, it was, yeah, it was not good. And you then they, did you run a, a hose full of uh, propane into their building just to, I, just I, to uh, get them out of there? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of a joke about running holes, but I, 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 I'm flagging here. I can't. It's a non-rap episode. Did you explain that it's a non-rap episode? By the way, are you going to do that at the start? Where like, hi guys, sure. It's yeah, I'm I'll do that. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. like I said, and I think we, this will be in the episode. We can't not see these things as rap movies. So this is a rap movie, yeah. whether you like it or not. It's just and as long as movies. every other movie either has a rapper or looks like shit. We still sort of <laughs> capture our mission statement. Yeah, well, this is a little bit of sadism on my part. Like, I do like making Anthony watch things that he has to like rent on iTunes or something. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like yeah. the the big time movies, the holiday Hollywood things that I've had to listen to him piss and moan about for I don't know twenty years. I'm yeah. like, Aha, now I'm gonna get him back for making making him watch a good movie. Um, so you know, I'm actually Anthony. I'm surprised you didn't just fucking hate this. Um, and I'm really glad to hear you got something out of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, even like Sean said, the ending is arguably the weakest part of the movie. But as somebody that likes something self-contained and is far more interested in the journey than the destination, like if something's going to fall apart in a movie, let it be the last 30 seconds. What kind of (laughs) a fucking child insists on the bow at the end? Be a fucking adult. Right. Um, All right. So 
now's the music time. Yeah, yeah. We'll do, we'll do the non. We'll do the rap first, so that way anybody that's sick of all the fucking Dwight Yoakam talk can check out early. <laughs> uh, who do we got? What is this? Lachat. Yeah, this is the yeah. chat. Why this song though? In this context, what happened? Okay, so I too am curious. Yeah, I was not interested in discussing Jared Leto's musical career whatsoever. And as much as I'm interested in like doing the discussion that we had about Dwight Yoakam, I still think there should be some rap tethering. So I went to the score. It's this guy Howard Shore that. It's done the score for fucking like a bunch of Cronenberg. He did uh, Silence of the Lambs, uh, all sorts of shit. He was also in like a late 60s, early 70s, like weird like prog band where he played the alto saxophone. And only uh, in a prog band is that kind of behavior acceptable. Yeah. yeah get, get a tenor, grow up. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, that's the uh, little I, one too, right? That's like a the, little. The guy. soprano is the little one. The okay, alto okay, is okay. just for that's a hilarious non-committal losers. Um, <laughs> and the, the tenor, of this last one I play is the good one. Um, yeah, uh, good one. But yeah, so uh, um, the sample is from this guy's score for the movie The Cell. So if we ever uh, watch The oh. Cell, we have to just oh, talk fuck. about like Chad again. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah this is uh, and also uh, Easter egg for the super fans. This song, which is a total banger, uh, yet another Memphis Rat classic about armed robbery, uh, but it is from her album on Koch Records that uh, she's wearing essentially bifocals, and we clowned them uh, in the MP The Last Don episode. Oh my like god! Nine years ago. <laughs> so, but yeah, total banger. Samples the guy that did the score for uh, the movie that we just watched, Panic Room, as well as all sorts of other shit. And uh, yeah, I was going to cram fucking rap music into this one way or the other. And uh, we figured we'd rather do this than the, uh, yeah, the other non-country option that uh, will die in the DMs. Well, you nailed it. The song's called Make Something. We'll uh, listen to that right now.
Yeah, we got a little um, Project Pat sample at the beginning, talking about pistol whipping. It's a, yeah, it's exactly what you want from a La Chat song. Yeah, it's so, all there. It's a, it's 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 the entire food pyramid. Does it did it just end for you guys too? Like, yes, and okay. that's the way it ends on CD. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah. that's that's even better. This in classic it's composition, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to Dwight Yoakam, who repeatedly uses the like weird late '80s studio, just like. 10 second fade button like nobody's doing anything they're just like yeah the song's gonna sort of just wind up now i have a lot of issues with the fade out when the band starts ripping like give me give me another minute and a half of that (laughs) let them boys rip like (laughs) yeah you don't wanna exactly you don't wanna miss that i hate fade outs too i just think like it's just it's such a once you write music like even in a ideally in a shitty local band and you're like have said the words out loud i suppose it was just kind of kind of fade out on that one <laughs> yeah like, oh man this really is the like no one wants to think about the ending option like you know oh you know who just... the worst offender is is fucking i mean in, in this i only when i had to review them that i noticed this that you two is just like every fucking song and it's that's fine just stop your songs a lot earlier maybe don't even start playing them <laughs> maybe like... don't maybe put those instruments down and <laughs> concentrate on world peace you know um, but the yeah. fade outs are egregious with that yeah. band yeah 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 everyone's very worried about like yeah everyone's worried about like the universal studio fire costing us like the master tapes for fucking etta james records and shit but really it's just the extra 90 seconds of noodling at the end of every guitar bass uh and drums song. <laughs> yeah that's yeah, the, the that's the that's the yeah. u2 reverb building yeah that's that's <laughs> the that's where, where we have all of the yeah exactly yeah, where's the box set where every song is 37 <laughs> seconds longer <laughs> yeah, because and, and I, I suppose it's because they ring out when they're putting their fists up in the sky and all that kind of shit. Yeah, I wonder, why just, they pull that shit off live? It's probably just a lot of posturing and like, ugh, ugh awful. I don't even know. Yeah. Fuck them. Um, all right, so are we going to go out on some Yoakum? Yes, yes, we are. Oh, my God. God. No, no idea Yoakum. No one to fold them or whatever. <laughs> Yoakum, damn near oh. killed him. Um, oh first time playing country on the on the podcast. Look at us. Yes, which is crazy because when we recorded the nine to five episode, I was traveling and I was at my father's uh, in the weird guest room, and it was the first time we had done uh, I had done anything during COVID whatsoever. So I was like very out of sorts, and we finished recording the entire like two hour pod. Then I was like, oh, we didn't play any Dolly Parton. So <laughs> yeah, we finally get to do that. Well, and we I think we did a little ZZ Top. Because there's because well these have remain real ones because yeah they covered twenty one lighters yeah we was that on the Rihanna episode or the oh, uh, battleship episode that cover is so good <laughs> that there there's a cover now that they have nowhere to go with it like they 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 deliver what you want but then there's no way of getting out I do think they fade out on that one probably but like but they like, can do one, it they can do whatever they want once you hear it you're just like yeah that is oh you you walk out of that walk-in refrigerator. And, <laughs> riff your shit zz top like always gets a pass here also because we talked about how they they for their 80s albums with the synths and the drum machines they took they stole all those drums from revolting hawks and um, really excellent and and billy givens took al jorgensen out to dinner was like yeah i made like probably 15 million dollars off your drum machines so i figure i owe you a dinner Uh, because all that shit like tush and and not tush um sharp dress man and all that like 
the yeah. stuff with the drums. the bad ZZ Top, not the fun yeah. early ZZ Top. The good ZZ Top, Anthony. It's the good. You're mistaken. Yeah. It's the other way around. Anthony really <laughs> likes the one that Rape Man covered. What's that one? Now? <laughs> uh, what's that called again? Just got paid Friday night. Oh no, that's that's the other one. Anyway, just got paid. Just got just paid. Got paid. Yeah, yeah. As covered to interminable horrific length by mastodon um do not yep. recommend uh, i have but, it on vinyl it's uh, not good uh, nice uh <laughs> there, there's another fading out that could be oh well, can we just eventually just all agree that mastodon is a most horribly overrated band anyway i would hold on. I, I would actually just uh i, I generally <laughs> agree but first uh, the, the dwight yoakam jam though yeah. sorry you asked fucking cooks yeah, this it's, is a good one. This is another yeah, this is fucking a, this pity country, right? Yeah. yeah, it's got the uh, the weird like, I, you can't even call it a chorus if it repeats that often. It's uh, like just a recurring motif. It's got the fucking like weird Marty Robbins, Freddie Fender, Mariachi flourishes. It's great. I, I could listen to this shit all day. I'm glad. I'm glad Yoakum's in your. Uh in your case logic now. Yeah, this was not a thing. I always thought it was going to be more like uh, hip-hop that raps about saving hip-hop 15 years after that was uh, a thing. (laughs) But uh, it turns out I like Dwight Yoko more than that. Though some of the early shit is a little too rockabilly for my taste. I like this mid-period where like it's a little more studio-driven and they try some shit. Uh, Yeah, Gone is a fucking killer record, top to bottom. Dwight yes, Yoakam yeah. has a freestyle bar for every single country musician that's in the charts. <laughs> so if they come up to him, he can be like, yo, I'm going to, I'm going to oak him. Um, <laughs> it's on site for David Allen. Cohen. It's, it's, that's right. Exactly. But like new, new people as well. You know, it's like Taylor, whatever. He's yeah. like, oh, it's too many Taylors, not enough Hicks or whatever. Yeah. It's like the uncle murder of, of, country that'd be so but good. That, yeah, that, was, was not, that was that was that was krs1's boast wasn't it that he had a freestyle bar for every yeah yes. yeah it's like you did yeah okay okay let's hear your takeshi 691 go on, <laughs> yeah, go on. Uh, okay yeah, yeah. let's hear your blue face bar you fucking like go you just you don't have to lie you're, you're, you're krs1 you said the horrible thing about roxanne chante get over it um but, um anyway sorry hell yeah well, this was fun. We're going to get out of this thing under two hours. Look at us. We're dialing it in here. It was a oh, joy yeah. to talk to you guys about these things. Um, yes, yes. And uh, if you're listening, leave a review. That's a thing that you should probably do. We also have uh, social medias. At you Rock. can turn it around now, episode 140. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't fucking done that in uh, maybe two years. So yeah. There we go. It's back. Um, that's it. That's all I got. What do we do now, Anthony? Free Max B. We're out. You'll be sorry you asked me the reason That she's not here with me tonight And I know you were probably just acting polite You'll be sorry you never asked why
Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.